What's up, everybody, and welcome to Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Wednesday, November 16th, 2016. And we're here with Mike. How's it going? Hey there. I'm doing all right. Uh, st- studying for another math test. I passed the last one. I got a B on it. So I'm hoping I can pass the next one. Even if I don't, I'm still not too freaked out because I still have another test. If I pass that, then I'm all right. And then just pass my final and I pass the class. So, you know, I'm, not I, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And, and normally I would really expound upon that. But folks, I, I stand before you a beaten and broken man. Oh, man. So every, everyone has seen what's been going on with on the Facebook and everything like that. Everybody knows at this point all kind of that what I had to go through. But yeah, we're officially here for episode 21, uh, the new format. This is not an old episode that's been re-edited. This is a new Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Oh, my God. All that crap that I had to go through the last few weeks after getting that cease and desist letter has just been uh, uh, just so stressful and oh my goodness I'm, I'm it just, would be yeah you know I mean it's it to me it's so I, I wasn't directly involved with it as much as you were which I was kind of surprised by that but I think what it was is you reached out to them uh, via via um, Don you reached Devereaux. out to John and Terry via Don Devereaux. right and in in, in in kindness, in in something that you w- were really looking forward to, like it, it's that's what makes it so tragic and upsetting to me, is that you know that's the response you got from arguably probably a couple of your idols, really. Yeah, oh, I mean it's crazy and, because I send I send Don the letter. You know, I do episode nineteen. It goes great. I mean, it's it's I still listen to that interview to the, to this day. I think it's a fantastic interview. And Don, you know, says, well, you know, I'm sure, you know, Terry and Mike or, or John, rather, sorry, not you, Mike, uh, <laughs> John and Terry are uh, trying to block their names out of my head because they haunt my nightmares. Uh, they're real great people. And uh, I'm sure they know what you're doing. And I'm sure they're OK with it. And, and I'm sure they appreciate the support. And, you know, he talked about how he sent my letter to them as well, which I don't I don't I mean, looking back, it's like, why would you do that unless you were trying to give them a heads up that hey there's some guys out here that's doing a podcast I think, he, I think I think he was doing it out of kindness and respect I don't think he did it out of oh hey you know remember there these people are you know talking about your show you know you might want to do something about it I don't think that's what what he did I think he did it like you said earlier I'm sure he th- Probably the nice people. Maybe they were when he first when he contacted them before, and they weren't dealing with this legal stuff, and they weren't stubborn, and they weren't all talking about you know this or that, and, and basically censoring people when it comes to talking about unsolved mysteries. Um, this, this or having unsolved mysteries on the on the internet in basically any capacity. Yeah, this show has been, and I've talked to other people. There's, a, I just, uh, just to mention his name here. There's a guy named John Howe who's also on YouTube. He does, uh, he does. He, he, okay, this is how ridiculous John and Terry have gotten with their. We're uh, not alone. <laughs> yeah, with with shutting people up. 
this guy, John Howe, he literally has his camera. I'm guessing it's his cell phone or something. It's, it's, it's not a high production kind of video. He just basically sits on his couch and he discusses... Uh, it sounds like he reads directly from the Unsolved Wiki. I'm not sure, John. Sorry if that's yeah. not what you do. But, uh, you know, he's just sitting on his couch talking about the episodes. There's no music. There's no nothing. But he all he did was use the Unsolved Mysteries logo in the little custom thumbnail on YouTube. And they emailed him as well. Uh, I think he tagged them in a tweet on his Twitter account. And they, they, they emailed him and, and told him to take, you know, to stop using the thumbnails. So I mean, there's actually nothing wrong with using a thumbnail, but you know, apparently, it, you know, I guess technically there is some sort of uh, copyright involved with that. But for the most part, most people on the internet on YouTube, most companies are, they really do not care, and for good reason. They're like, you know, this is free advertising. All it is is a thumbnail. I mean, the video itself has no footage of the movie in it. It's not really copyright infringement. But apparently to John and Terry, they're so gung-ho and have such a stick up their ass about it that it's one of those things that, well, if it's just a thumbnail, then uh, that's copyright infringement, which that isn't really what copyright infringement is, but okay. Um, and if the guy was making money off the video, okay, maybe you can make that argument. But it didn't seem like when you watch his videos, did they have any ads in front of them or ads on them in any way? I don't feel like they did. So if they didn't have any advertisements, then it's a nonprofit thing. So it's a non-issue. <laughs> yeah, you know, all that we're doing is getting people more energized and reinvigorated about the show that they want yeah. back on the air. And again, I think I mentioned in my vlog, because I did a vlog about this, I, I mentioned somewhere that, that um, you know, companies do this a lot. Nintendo, the game company, yeah. they're real big on controlling the content that's out on the internet. They, they actually, if you review one of their games, uh, a lot of the games that they, they, do, they have in their library, they'll slap you with a, a DMCA or something like that. So they're also mm -hmm. very guarded with their content. But geez, Nintendo is still out per making consoles, making games, putting stuff out there. Unsolved, See, I can understand that yeah, about Nintendo. I could, yeah, that's totally understandable. But but a show that's been off the air for, uh, what, like 13 years? I mean, not counting, I or guess... longer I, than that. Okay, if you want to count the revamp with Dennis Farina, uh, okay, it's been off the air for about eight years. Um, but, but still, man, it's like, that, you know, they're wanting to bring the show back to a streaming service, but they're not doing any justice by messing with people like me and messing with these other people and trying to get everything it's like it's like they don't get it they just they don't yes, understand that's what i think they i think they are deep down nice people i think they just are a little bit clueless on on uh social media and and how this whole sort of internet thing works and how to you know you know they're stuck in the 80s and right. there's a lot of people that are like that they're stuck in the 80s in terms of discussing things and making deals and and stuff like that. I don't think they really truly understand uh, the power of social media. They don't understand how it works now. They don't get that uh, everybody's more and more people. I won't say everybody, but but I mean, especially millennials, they get most of their content from YouTube or Netflix, and that instead of fighting it, like people kind of 
uh, the, who are on the wrong side of history, in my point, instead of fighting it, most people have embraced it. And, you know, if they're OK. And like I said in the vlog, there's a difference, be, difference, a difference. There's a difference between piracy and what we're doing and what I've done as far as like, you yeah. know, transformative content. Now, if we were just like uploading old episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, that's 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 not that's okay. messed like up. That, but yeah. even with that being said. And this is the messed up part of this card. Even with that being said, there is a a sh there is a full episode of Unsolved Mysteries on YouTube right now. It's the Noah's Ark segment where they're it's the under the Strange Legends where they're talking. And about I saw I saw another one that was had commercials in it, but it was like a full episode, not a full seg, not just a full segment. Oh yeah, a full episode. Yeah, it, I don't know if it's still up, but you know there are some that you can find. And this Noah's Ark segment has about a hundred and something thousand views. And it's got the only thing I guess that the guy has uh, that I guess he thinks is covering his ass, which obviously it did cover his ass because the video is, is still up there and has been up there. He's got all this fair use stuff at the beginning of the video talking about I upload this op upload this video for educational purposes and yada, yada, yada. But it's yeah. it's the full segment and that video still up there. And and. It's been up there for at least a few years, hasn't it? I mean, it's been up there for longer than that. It's been up there for a long time. But that's okay. That that's perfectly okay. Uh, just freebooting uh, uh, an, an episode of the show. I mean, I guess since it has religious uh, value to it, dealing with Noah's Ark, maybe that's the claim that they can try to make, or a history thing, you know, for history class. You know, talk about, you know, when you're talking about the Bible. Yeah, they don't, they students, don't cover that in the, history class, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm just talking about biblical history. Yeah, like, I, there are actual I don't know. classes that are bib about Bible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you could make that case, but it's like, it's like, why is that okay? But use, you know, using a few seconds of a cover of the intro for a podcast and an alteration of the logo for a podcast that that's not okay and again it's a, this is becoming a big podcast and it's like it's m reminding people the amount of people who say oh this reminds me of a kid when yeah. I just watched so reminding them of the show and being like hey well, I want to watch the show where can I get the show and we're just like a flagpole for like you know hey exactly. get unsolved mysteries back I, I don't understand this we should be collaborating with them right I mean they should be collaborating with us I mean uh, we're not asking for money in terms of sponsorship or anything like that at that mo at this particular moment in time, and they probably wouldn't be able to offer that to us. But just having an official collaboration would be wonderful, and I think that would be a great partnership for for us and for John and Terry. It's a way to get the name of a UM out there again, and and that's kind of what we've been doing. And I don't understand why they'd want that to stop. Yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> so to, just to reiterate for like the third or fourth time, if you go back and listen to any episode before this episode right here, uh, the episodes end abruptly. Um, they begin in weird places sometimes. I literally had to go in and the intro music, which I talked over, I had to edit out. Uh, any of that speech where the, you could still hear the old theme and I had to edit out the end speech where the old theme kicked in again. Uh, I had to remove all the audio clips, um, which, again, I thought was uh, fair use, but I took it out just to cover my ass and, you know, be on the safe side. And, yeah, you know, you're right, Mike. They did go after me specifically and not you. 
And I'm guessing that's because I've been the louder voice of the two well, of us, like, parading this around. the letter. You had your address, I think, on the letter. Well, yeah, that there, was, there was also that tiny little detail, but we're not going to talk about <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I didn't send anything with my name and my address on it, so there's no way they could have actually contacted me. Well, that so. that's considered that being me getting burned by, um, you know. But hey, you know, new. I'm glad you went out there. And you have that Don Devereaux interview, which is wonderful. And we would not have had that for this show if you did not actually put yourself out there and take that chance. So in the long run, I think it's worth it. Everything happens for a reason. This is bullshit. This is ridiculous. But at the same time, you know, if we just, if, well, if it just means we just need to rebrand ourselves that to, you know, just keep going forward, that's fine. Like a lot of our supporters have said and our fans, uh, and have said this they've said we we listen to the show for you know you guys and and I, not not for the name and i really appreciate that yeah so thank that's big our and and that's another thing man our our fans have just been beyond awesome and beyond on our side and, and advocating for us and the podcast to keep going and, and like i am just truly humbled because even me even me saying the words our fans even that coming out of my mouth feels weird because like i never thought i would be able to truly say that about myself that i would have fans of any kind because <laughs> i've put so much shit out on the internet over the years that just hasn't gone anywhere and hey this, i'm a fan <laughs> well yeah so. well yeah i mean you know and i appreciate that you know and, and and i'm a fan of your stuff too but as as far as people that i don't really know you know like strangers yeah exactly yeah well it, it is it is a very humbling thing and so you, I, I have experience awesome. with that, but uh, this is this is different because this is this is one of the first long running collaborations I've done with anybody, and yeah, to have weird. fans of that that collaboration is really unique and really wonderful. And to be to 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 be very specific here, um, so going forward, you know, it, it's essentially still going to be the same show, but this this. These are our commentaries on cases that are public domain for anybody to look up, okay? Exactly. This is not, we are not talking about something that uh, uns only Unsolved Mysteries reported on. This is information you can find anywhere. So I'm just making the statement right now that myself and Mike are talking about cases, whether it be murder cases or UFO cases or whatever, that are common public domain can be found anywhere and that's what this show is and it's not affiliated with uh, unsolved mysteries in any way shape or form so uh take that john and terry and and have have yourself a good time i'm not even gonna try to be mean i'd still love to have them on the show but i highly freaking doubt that's gonna happen now uh because they hide behind their lawyers any chance i try to talk to them um i i called their office one time and they said they'd call me back they didn't call me back but their lawyer did and he basically said in so many words hey what do you want why are you why are you calling them <laughs> And yeah, so that just kind of shows that you shows you how out of touch they are, right? You know, they're they're used to like, well, it's you know the '80s and '90s. If someone's using our name, then you sue them and you get them to stop. Well, that's fine before the internet was out. Well, now that now that the internet's out, the shit's changed a little bit, guys. Come on, wake up. So enough about that. Uh, I would I want to give a big shout out to. I mean, I already. I already said his name before, but uh, just the amazing job this guy like went and did for us for free, which was just incredible. Uh, Thomas yes. Hatfield, 
thank you so much for uh, designing new logos for the show. And I mean, when he said, hey, I can make you guys a new logo for your show, I was like, okay, we'll see how this looks. And then within like a, a few hours, he like not only made logos for our uh, Facebook page, but our SoundCloud and our Patreon uh, which, by the way, is still alive and well, and all the content has been restored uh, with without any mention of a, a, a certain show. Um, so yeah, that's all. Everything's back to how it should be, but um, you can check out Thomas Hatfield's work on a website that I've never heard of, uh, dribble.com, and it's uh, D-R-B-B-B-L, wait, D-R-I-B-B-B-L-E dot com slash Thomas Hatfield, T-H-O-M-A- S-H-A-T-F-I-E-L-D. I hope uh, some of my dyslexia and trouble reading played had some kind of entertainment value just then. Um, also, uh, Tiffany Tallman, uh, I want to bring that interview to you guys as soon as possible. I've been in emails with her husband um, for whatever reason. I guess he's kind of the go-between. Um, I haven't actually talked to her, but we had, uh, scheduled a time that we were going to talk, but I've been so freaking busy. And on top of that, trying to get these SoundCloud old episodes re-edited, uh, we, we just never really found a time where we've been able to sit down yet. He's kind of stopped responding to the emails, so I don't know if he's just over dealing with me, um, flaking out when we're supposed to call or talk or whatever. But if you're listening to this, which... I don't think he is because he found our, us originally from the YouTube segments, which have uh, been deleted. Yeah, listening, sadly. Um, yeah. Sorry, folks. I will try. I'm thinking about, though, creating a specific YouTube channel for uncovering unexplained mysteries. Oh, that's not so a bad idea. We'll post the, uh, the uh, other episodes as well as the newer episodes on that YouTube channel. And when that gets uh, up, uploaded, you know, when that site gets uh, put back up, or put up for the first time, I will definitely let you listeners in on it, as well as our Patreons. Yeah, so um, we're, we're going to try to bring that as soon as possible. And then any other um, you know inter- people from the show or whatever will bring you that whenever possible. So um, wh- so what? That, that's about 18 minutes of chit-chat. I think that's a new record for us, Mike. How do you feel about Well, that? hey, well, you know, there was a lot to talk about. I mean, a lot had happened, so th- we... It was necessary, in my opinion, for us to actually have some of the chit-chat in the beginning. I feel like that, too. I mean, uh, the podcast was on the brink of extinction, and uh, the anxiety levels inside me were just uh, tremendous because, like I said, I I have uh, fallen in love with this thing, and it, it felt like an appendage being cut off of me or something when, they, when the possibility of me having to delete this permanently and never doing it again was brought up, and... It was very um, um, emotional for me, and I just was very depressed about it for a few days. And then I, I finally kind of woke up and said, wait a second, they can't just do this, and there's ways that we can still save this. So, yeah, this is basically a um, a coming-together moment, and we're all group-hugging right now. Like, <laughs> it's still back on. <laughs> we're not dead yet, you know, kind of thing. So uh, We won't go quietly into the night. Exa- good, co- Yeah, very nice. Uh, not we will not go gently into the endless winter night or whatever that was. Quietly into the night, we won't go without a fight. <laughs> you got to fight for your right. Uh, no, I was trying to quote uh, Independence Day. You know, we won't go quietly into the night. You know. Well, that's that 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 quote is actually from a, a not yet another poem. Fight. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there. Today is our Independence Day from some certain show. 
<laughs> yeah, better be careful. But not really. <clears throat> um, <laughs> all right, so the first uh, first case that we're going to be talking about here uh, was suggested to us or uh, requested by one of our Patreons. And if you want to join up with that awesome team of, of the few, the proud, it is um, patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries and you can also like us on facebook facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries you hear that unexplained mysteries is that okay is that okay guys out there in la or no burbank whatever anyway my anger is still kind of un- i thought it was a good way for us to keep the uum uh um acronym you know uh, moniker and uh so that was actually my idea because i thought yeah, man, you popped that thing out instantly. I was like, damn, we got to change the name. And you're like, eh, no problem. It's Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a good name. Because, <laughs> like, I was trying to think of other names. And, like, I, I don't know. Like, I guess I'm not as good as branding things as Mike is. But, yeah, all the names that our uh, fans suggested on Facebook, they were literally all taken. Like, some people were like, well, call it the Unsolved Podcast. And it's like, that's taken. Call it this podcast, taken. I, like, looked at them all. I, like after yeah. the names were suggested, I noticed on iTunes um, that that they were all taken. And which, by the uh, way, if anybody uh, from uh, anyone's legal team's listening, uh, the iTunes still has the old Uncovering Unsolved Mysteries logo. That's not um, something that we can control on our end. Um, I did update the image on the SoundCloud, and it takes uh, it can take up to like two weeks for that image to refresh on iTunes. So uh, it's just going to take time, but that image is eventually going to go away. So we're not purposely leaving that up there or anything to no. fringe on anybody's copyrights. Um, but anyway, getting to this uh, case here, it's the case of Ray- Warren Fulton and Rachel Raver. Um, this, this actually was a later case that aired on a particular show. Um, much later, actually, it was uh, it air- originally aired, I believe, in two thousand and one, which was towards the end of a certain yeah. a certain show's period. Um, and you can definitely tell the the feel of the uh, the the older shows in the in the sh- in the series because they they take on a different feel. They don't quite have that same feel as the early shows do. Uh, I still like them nonetheless. I mean, as long as Robert Stack's yeah. part of it, I'm going to like it. But uh, it, it, it did definitely the older ones. Black Hope Curse was an older one, as you mentioned in a previous podcast. A newer I, one. Well, n- yeah, newer, older, earlier, later. Now everybody's <laughs> confused. I did a great job. Um, yeah, newer, as in, yeah, 2000s. So, which is crazy. Yeah. Isn't it crazy to think that a certain show made it... <laughs> I guess I'm just going to call it a certain show. I don't know. It's got to be a okay. show that shall not be named. <laughs> it's got to be okay for me to even mention the show name. Damn it. That's got to be all right. You could, you could just be like UM or something like that. I think that's it's crazy okay. to think that that show made it into the new millennium. And it, cause I mean, it technically it did with Robert Stack hosting, you know, yeah. like that's cause you know, you think of it as a 90s show, but it actually had like what two seasons in, into the new millennium. Yeah. Um, that's not counting the, the revamp. No, I, I'm never counting. I will never count the revamp. Although I will say that some episodes that some of the fans have wanted us to talk about uh, have come from the revamp. I'm just going to say right here now, I will not talk about any segment if it was only on the revamp. But I don't. I find well, it, unless unless it's really interesting, and it, it, I, I'd make an exception 
if we run out of other kids, like if we get to the point where we're scraping the bottom of the barrel with the old show, then okay. But that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. Um, I don't think they even did any new new segments on there anyway. I felt like it was all uh, rehashes of old episodes. Yeah, I could be wrong. That's what I think anyway. But according to the Unsolved Wikia, um, I wonder if they got any cease and desist letters. According to the Unsolved Wikia, uh, they, they that is that that the particular some of the episodes the fans have requested were specific to uh, the Dennis Farina revamp, which blows my mind. Anyway, Warren Fuller yeah. and Rachel Raber Raver Raver. Um, fire, fire. Uh, Dece- <laughs> December 6th, a worker surveying um, a way out of the way po- property in Fairfax, Virginia made a disturbing discovery. A partially covered woman laying out in a clearing was found. Her jeans, shirt, and shoes were piled neatly by her. She had been shot and sexually abused. The police cordoned off the area, and while they were doing so, they discovered a second body. A young man was shot in the head execution style. He, like the woman, had no identification. The couple turned out to be Rachel Raver and Warren Fulton. The baffling murders had remained unsolved for more than a decade, but new breaks in forensic technology and an incredible connection to a previous episode of a show that will not be named produced an amazing new break in the case. Fulton... Warren Fulton was the captain of the George Washington University ba- uh, baseball team, and he was hoping to one day play in the major leagues. Rachel Raver was a vivacious, well-liked recent graduate of George Washington University who planned to go to law school. She and Warren met at a, met at a local hangout and had been dating for a while. On December 3rd, uh, Warren and Rachel met some friends at a local bar. At 12.30 at night, they called it a night, and were last seen walking to their car. It was believed that on their way to their car, they encountered somebody, and they were abducted and forced at gunpoint to drive from Washington, D.C. into Virginia, west of the city. The terrifying ride would have covered a distance of 20 miles. Um, Once at the obscure wooded area, police believe the gunman wasted no time. Warren was probably killed as soon as they got into the woods, and Rachel would have seen that, and probably at that point she ran uh, because of how the bodies were discovered. She was much farther away from uh, Warren. Um, after she ran, the gunman uh, mortally wounded her and then sexually assaulted her, which, I mean, to say that's sick is a big freaking understatement. That's, like, beyond perverse. Um, police believe the assailant fled in Rachel's car, but he unknowingly left clues to his identity. Semen left from Rachel's body contained his DNA. A single hair retrieved at autopsy revealed his race. He was African-American. And the scene chosen to take the couple to revealed that the killer must have known the area. The area where the bodies were specifically found was very secluded, and you would have had to have known about that very spot, um to take them there. It's not a spot you could just kind of happen upon and be like, oh, this looks like a good area to dump some bodies. You would have had to have been familiar with the area because that spot was so specific. And I mean, I, I can understand that because like where I live um, at the particular moment, uh, it's a very wooded area. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I know of some areas that I could do nefarious things at <laughs> where it would be very hard to find. And, and, and you would have to really kind of know this area to to know that um not saying i would ever do that um 
I don't even drink anymore. I'm very boring now. Um, so two days after the bodies were found, the Fulton and Raver family's worst nightmares were confirmed. Um, in time, Rachel's mother, Veronica, channeled her grief into anger. Quote, my attitude was, who the hell does he think he is? And that's when I started healing. She became obsessed with seeing the killer caught. Believing that Rachel's missing car was the key to solving the case, the Ravers began looking for it. And even though Rachel's mom lived in suburban New York City, Veronica spent her free time, Rachel's mom's name, Veronica, spent her free time cruising around Washington, D.C. looking for the car. She would be checking parking lots. She'd be checking all over the place. She literally became obsessed. And, I mean, sadly, you hear that a lot with parents of the victims of these cases. You know, they just, they become obsessed yeah. with figuring well, this out. Well, some of them actually do have a, they, they are justified in, in their obsession. I think there was a case of a suicide. They, they said that this former military guy, they said that he committed suicide. But then the parents did their own investigation. And then they were like, this doesn't make any sense. There's no way that he could have killed himself this, this certain way. And they actually had people who were actual medical examiners and, you know, actual people who were actually do that for a living and, and try to determine what the cause of death is. And even they were also like, yeah, that's fishy. I don't I, I don't really see that as as a viable form of suicide, you know, that, he was, that this guy killed himself with the evidence that was provided. So yeah. sometimes it's it's justified. And it seems like it somewhat was in this case as well. I mean, sometimes there are cases like this that just happen. They're tragic and they're awful. But once the police can't really get any further with the case, it just it becomes cold. And that's that's the norm because a cold case and there's not much else they can do about it. So the parents are the one that really keeps on uh, looking into it as, as much as they possibly can. Right. So, just as hopes were dwindling, six weeks after the murders, there was a break in the case from an unlikely source. In the mail, there was uh, that Veronica received at her house. In the mail, there was a letter from uh, the motor vehicle department, and it was a ticket. Um, Rachel Raver's missing sedan had been ticketed for illegal parking on a street in Queens, New York. The date on the ticket was the day after the murders and two days before the bodies were discovered. The car was sitting unattended on a New York City street, so you can imagine what happened to it before it was discovered. Uh, there wasn't much left of it, and they show a picture of the car um, when they when this car was discovered, and, and it's literally like the stereotype that you see in movies um, where someone leaves their car unattended, and then they come back, and it's like on cement blocks yeah. with the, the tires <laughs> missing and the doors <laughs> missing. That's literally what this car looked like. I mean, it was totally gutted. Um the car was taken to a garage in New York City where it was processed extensively and a number of latent fingerprints were developed but were unable to identify anyone. Um, then at one point in the show, it uh, shows Veronica actually watching, sitting down at her couch watching an episode of a show that shall not be named. And uh, it said, despite the setback, Veronica refused to give up. Almost a full year after the murders, an episode of Unsolved Mysteries caught her attention on May 10th, 1988, the body of a young woman was what? found. <laughs> what show? <laughs> oh, fuck it, I don't care anymore. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't blame you. Um, I, I was just, I was just, I was just I'm, gi- I'm giving up the gag. <laughs> um, 
That's fine. In, in, it's fair in, use. Yeah. An episode of uh, Unsolved Mysteries caught her attention, and it was a May 10th, 1988 episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing that one. I remember the the profile, the sketch that they had of the suspect stood out to me. There's this wiry looking guy who looked like, he looked like a lot like someone that you know, was like a runner at the Olympics or something like that. He had that kind of athletic wiry build. Yeah, for sure. So, um, the body of a young woman on this episode that the it, it was like a show inside a show when they and they did this before for the Dennis DePew one, but they did it more in, extensively for this one. Um, it's, it's like the Unsolved Mysteries Inception. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> a body of a young woman was found in Arlington, Virginia schoolyard. Uh, the victim was ID'd as Tina Jefferson, a newcomer to the Washington, D.C. area. Unsolved Mysteries came on about this young woman who had been shot. And uh, according to Veronica, I don't know what attracted to me or attracted uh, that show, that particular episode to me. She says, I think it was the date. It was the date of Rachel's birthday. So she called her daughter Dee Dee. And she had her daughter check on it, and the detectives checked into the case as well. The case was different because the killer seemed to know uh, his victim in this case. He seemed to know Tina, and and he didn't, you know, the discrepancies between the case were great. Um, Rachel was white, Tina was African American. Uh, Rachel was in the company of her boyfriend, and Tina was alone. And though it was suspected that Tina knew her killer, Rachel and Warren's killings were thought to be random. Years would pass, and both murder investigations would grow cold. Till one day in the spring of 2000, a technician of Biolab 2, a Virginia State DNA lab, was routinely running DNA samples submitted by law enforcement agencies, and one of the techs was able to come up with the most vital lead either of the cases had had up to that date, and she was able to prove Veronica's instincts right. Uh, Detective Robert Murphy uh, was quoted by saying he got a call from the serologist in our lab and they said, I have good news and bad news. The good news is we got a hit on your case in the Virginia data bank. The bad news is the hit is on another unsolved homicide. So now we're dealing with a serial killer. Um, The other unsolved homicide was Tina Jefferson, which was the unsolved mystery that Veronica was watching on the TV. It was now scientifically proven that Tina and Rachel's killers were one and the same. Tina and Rachel's parents convened, and they had hopes that this DNA link between these murders would show similarities. Uh, the te- detective thinks it's more than coincidental that they were both wearing red shoes, which is apparently they both were wearing. Uh, the other case had a composite drawing of a face to go with the DNA. Uh, re-interviewing Tina's family became a priority. Tina's sister, Crystal, went to Tina's apartment. This was a while before Tina was murdered. She went to Tina's apartment and met a guy in the complex named Tony. Tony lived in the Queens area, and uh, Crystal, for whatever reason, had two pictures of this guy, Tony. And on the back of the first picture was a reference to the Queens area, and on the second picture was the phrase Hollis style. Uh, Hollis is a neighborhood in Queens area. If any of you know who the group Run DMC is, they constantly rap about Hollis and being from Queens and all that. Um, and the, the guy d- was wearing a Run DMC shirt. Yeah, he was even wearing. Well. Yeah, so he was like repping his, uh, his, his that that group big time, I guess, because it was from the same you know area, whatever. Um, it was a pretty tight looking Run DMC uh, kind of sweatshirt thing. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it was like a running one of those running like suits. Yeah, Adidas. Yeah. Um, Detectives are hoping to identify this Tony guy. He's not considered a a suspect, but police would like to question him. 
they also want to find the man from the composite drawing. Uh, Tina was last seen alive in his presence. And um, with all this, you know, going down, the ravers have a rejuvenated sense that, yeah. um, you know, the case will be solved by DNA and evidence. speaking of s- case being solved, I have an update. Ooh, an update. So uh, the segment ran for the first time on uh, Unsolved Mysteries on August 29, 2001. And the case was solved in September of 2005. Uh, DNA found at both crime scenes was matched to a serial killer named Alfredo Prieto. Uh, who was already on death row in California for murdering a 15-year-old girl named Yvette Woodruff in 1990. He was found guilty of the Fulton-slash-Raver murders in 2008 and given the death penalty. He was a suspect in other murders, including a 1989 murder and two double murders in 1990 in California, but he was never charged. Prieto was executed by lethal injection on October 1st, 2015. Now... Well, what's that old quote about the 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 justice system? It's it's slow. What about being slow but fair or s- something like that? Is justice is slow but whatever? Um, you guys probably know what I'm trying to say here. Um, that's definitely true in this case because I mean this was 1988 when I mean the segment aired, but I mean I'm guessing the the first murder was around that time as well. I mean I was born in 1988. So, basically, this guy had been on the run for as long as I've been alive. I mean, that's... He had been on the run longer than I have been alive. So, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, it I is mean, it's pretty crazy. Like, you know, I think of my lifetime and, and, and growing up and all the stuff I've been through. This guy was basically... I mean, I don't know how he was living his life. He couldn't have been living it with a clean conscience, but obviously with all the stuff that this guy's done, this gu- this fucker has no conscience. Well, he was caught in 1990. They said he was caught in 1990. He just didn't get to oh, trial okay. so, j- for so, these particular cases until 2005. So basically he was, he was caught, but, you know, his final justice didn't come until 2015, so the whole time been alive. Yeah. He's been, okay. So, I, I understand that. I, I get it now. Um, you know, there, there's, like, a lot of debate about um, the death penalty from a lot of people. You know, everyone has their kind of different um, sides about it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's very creepy to think that um, because if you've ever seen any of these shows on TV that actually show the room where lethal injections take yeah. place, it's a very dark and foreboding, kind of very grim, scary place. But you know what? <laughs> so it's very grim and scary to for Rachel to be out with her boyfriend and meet their friends at a bar and leave at 1230 at night and have some guy hold them up at gunpoint, drive them out to some field where they know they're probably going to die uh, and for Rachel to see her boyfriend shot right in front of her, and then her last moments of life is her being shot and then raped. That's scary, too. And yeah. he, he, that, those are not the only people he did that shit to. He did that stuff to a lot of other people as well. So, you know, in this case, in this specific case, this, this uh, Alfredo guy, he needed to be taken off this planet. I mean, he needed to be not not only locked away. His he, he doesn't deserve to live because in prison, as bad as it may be, you still get the benefit of life and 
you know, they can read books and they can, yeah. you know. I see your point. It's just, I don't know. For me personally, I look at this type of thing and I'm like, well, this is kind of going back, harkening back to the Middle Ages, you know, when, you know, it's just a very, I, to be honest, it's like, is he really going to get out? Like if he, if he escaped and then got caught again, then is this, and then killed again and then got caught, then, then I probably would, okay, you know, put this guy out, you know, take him out because, you know, obviously he doesn't learn anything. Um, but it, it, it's just, I don't know. I just killing people. Eye for an eye type thing is kind of, it's controversial and, and I see, uh, see your point and I see other people's points when it comes to the death penalty, but I, I don't know. It just seems like it's really expensive. That's my thing. I, you know, I mean, it's, putting it's, these it's, people it, it, on death row, doing the pain for all the, you know, the death penalty. It's really, it's, it, if you look at the numbers, it's really expensive. It's fine and, if you have a moral objection to it. I mean, I can I can almost halfway see your point to have a moral I don't necessarily have a moral objection to it. I have uh, a little moral objection to it because honestly, I mean, if you're going to take somebody's life, it, it, I can't really say that you shouldn't have your own life taken. I mean, it's the same sort of thing. I'd be hypocritical if I said that because I support people defending themselves. You know, if a robber breaks into your house and tries to kill you and rob you, and I support you know, the person who owns the house shooting and killing that robber. So, you know, I mean, I'd be pretty hypocritical if I said, oh, well, you shouldn't kill the serial killer or a death on, um, you know, death row. You know, it's just, but it, it's just, it's just how much money. If you look into it, it's an insane amount of money. Well, it costs a lot of money just to keep people in the penal system as it is. So, I mean, yeah, as it is, is it's all, it's, it's an absolute waste of money. And, and resources uh, that could be used for, for better things in our country. That's a whole other story. But I, I don't necessarily have if that if they you know they choose. It's just it's just the cost. That's my main thing. Well, I honestly it's think really it's, the, I think for this guy, I think it's money well spent. I, I would have started a fucking Kickstarter to get this guy executed <laughs> oh, yeah. if, if they couldn't have come up with the money. Honestly, because you know, uh, hey, you know, different opinions are what makes this world interesting. I've always said. Yeah, so, and I mean, I'm you usually know, you know on the record, I'm usually pretty, um, I guess, uh, left of center when it comes to a lot of issues. But I mean. You know, I can't say I feel bad that he got that he oh, got no. the no this guy I mean he, I and you know to me it's just it's so much worse when there's like sexual assault as well because if they were just killing people it's like okay this guy maybe has you know uh, has a screw loose. might be mental it might you know he might be yeah, mentally but, unfit but, but when there's sexual gain involved too it's like okay this guy is just out to just control people and take what he wants and, it, yeah. and it's less of a, a so, like a mental disease than it is that no this guy just has no soul and is a calculated uh, piece of crap yeah. who just takes whatever he wants kind of deal. Um, so you know the sexual assault really throws it over the top for me. I mean it's horrible to take someone's life, but I mean when you add in, I mean just the brutal way that I, I think I think they're equally horrible. Well, yeah, they I are. Mean, any, any sort of any sort of crime against someone else. I think it's equally horrible in different ways. Murder is probably the most horrible in a lot of ways because, and, and sexual assault, because sexual assault, you know, takes away somebody's, you know, their dignity, 
it, it's something that they 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 people victims of sexual assault are like they're alive but not they're never the same and that, that's that's a big problem like they took by people rape victim people who raped the rapist took away you know their sense of safety there's their sense of you know everything's going to be okay they're they're that's a very hard thing to get over and 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 a lot of people don't for good reason uh you know they get over it the best they can but it's it's a scar that they carry with them and you know but murder you know that's it you're done you're dead like that's you don't get to live you don't get to redeem have some sort of redemption maybe in your life and and find a way somehow to to recover from this this uh traumatic event in your life because you don't have a life so um murder is usually to me is, is probably at the top of the list but to me personally i all these other any other crime against another human being is is horrible it's you know fraud uh robbery um rape all of it is bad yeah. all of it's horrible well He's dead now, and I'm glad about that. Um, it's 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 crazy just how long these people sit on death row, though. Good lord, I mean that's what I'm saying. They sit on death row for a long time. The just to keep them in death row is an extravagant expense for the state and and for our country. And you know our infrastructure is crumbling beneath our feet, and we're spending like absurd amounts of money keeping serial killers in prison well i mean they should be in on death row (laughs) they should be in prison but i'm just saying in death row on death row right yeah just put them in general population let them all kill off uh, each other which usually happens anyway so yeah a lot of the rapists that they just get a lot of them don't even make it especially the child rapists in general population which is so funny because, like, now all of a sudden these crooks have, like, a, a yeah, conscience. A, a line that they draw in the sand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, I know I robbed that convenience store and killed that uh, father of uh, three kids and all, but uh, you raping children, you are just disgusting, sir. You know, <laughs> like... Uh, that's 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 society for you. The, the, everyone has a line that the, the, they believe should not be crossed. My line is, way. I feel bad if I even kill a cockroach, but that's just because I don't, I don't know. I don't feel bad about killing a fucking cockroach. <laughs> There's I, too many of those things enough as it is. I don't, I just uh, don't like taking life from anything. I don't know. I mean, call me, you know, whatever, but uh, I don't know. That's just, I, I understand that. That's fine, but you know, I'm not gonna let that thing crawl around in my house. That's not. That's not. Not gonna happen. I've been, I've do, I've done better when it comes to not killing certain you know insects and stuff like you know there's like a spiders I don't know they freak me out and I, I if it's in the corner if it's somewhere where I can catch it with like a cup or something and and put it outside all right uh, I, I'll I'll do that but if it's in the corner of my ceiling I can't get that thing <laughs> if I try to go in and try to catch it with some kind of cup trick with a newspaper or whatever it'll fall down somewhere in in my room behind some dresser drawer or some shit and drive me nuts yeah freak me out. oh i hate or, that 
So, because I know it's in there. You know it's but. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that 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 is a really crappy feeling. Paranoia. And so I just take the vacuum and I, I suck it up. So, but God. it. <laughs> what what I hate about roaches is the whole thing like when oh if you see one there's you know a what, yeah. 100 more like yeah that, they're that. always creeping up on you but there was a really nice looking beetle that just somehow got in the house and I just caught that and put it outside it's a beetle it's not going to do anything yeah it's beetles not, beetles are fine in my on, it's not going to bite me or you know they don't creep me out as much as spiders do as well yeah well all right, so that's that case. Moving on to uh, a case that uh, old Mikey here picked out. Uh, I picked this one because it's a case I remember seeing when I was a kid. And it, it's the case of Ed Baker or Edward Gerald Baker. And uh, the main thing that stood out to me ever since I saw it when I was a kid, on a, like on a rerun on Lifetime, was there was this burning car in a field. And I know there's been other segments that have a burning car in the field, but this one, but I saw those other ones and I'm like, no, that's not it. That's not the one. And then I was watching, I was looking through the segments that I, that I found and I saw this one and then like everything just clicked when I saw like the opening and there's this burning car in the field and there's this guy in silhouette standing in front of it. And then I'm like, that's it. And it was just, it was an immediate connection. It was really I, I, I knew then that I absolutely had to talk about this case. Now, and, and also, I think this case is somewhat interesting with the fact that, is he dead? Is he not? Was this guy, did this guy uh, kill himself? Or is he killed by somebody else? Or, or did he fake his own death? Ed Baker was a wealthy Texas millionaire who had made his fortune in oil and uh, creating oil rigs, not really oil rigs, but, you know, drilling for oil in Texas. Mm -hmm. It's a big thing in the eighties was, you know, this occurred in the, in around, uh, in uh, 1985 in November. So November 8th, 1985 is pretty much when this supposed disappearance or murder happened of Ed Baker. Now, he uh, founded Vanguard Groups International, one of the fastest growing businesses in the United States at the time, alongside his second wife, Mary Walker. And people tended to trust him. He looked like a trustworthy guy, you know, and then that smile on his face, you know, he, it looked like a kind of cherub look to him, you know, because he's kind of this, you know, stocky guy, you know. It didn't look like he'd harm anybody or screw anybody over or do anything like that. I was watching an episode of Unsolved Mysteries the other day, and it's a fraud segment. It's one we'll probably eventually get around to talking about. But uh, they, they describe the guy as uh, having a moon pie face. Yeah. And I thought that ter I thought that was so funny. I'm like, no yes. freaking way. Unsolved Mysteries <laughs> just made up a term describing someone using a delicious snack cake. And then I actually looked it up, and yeah, that's actually like a real terminology to yeah. describe someone with a really round face. Now, if I could have went back to the Mike Moore story, you guys, and I could have had more polite words to describe him, I would have said this guy has a very big freaking moon pie face that I want to <laughs> slap very hard. So, so after uh, this business, uh, Vanguard Groups International prospered, he, de de he developed sort of a, of a midlife crisis. He divorced Mary after 10 years of, of marriage. Uh, their relationship fell apart due to, you know, various things. They weren't getting along very well. There was arguments and so on. And so because of this, you know, he ended up having more time to himself. And he spent this time gambling. 
I mean, yeah, that's a great use of all this money that you've gotten through this business that is just booming. Yeah, don't don't save that money. Don't put it away for something in case the business doesn't turn out too well or something happens. No, gamble it away. Well, I mean, you're saying he's going through a midlife crisis. I mean, I, I think depression is obviously like one of the symptoms of a midlife crisis. Yeah. And, and I honestly believe that these people get to a point sometimes where they just you know, and I, I, I haven't reached this point in my life yet, thankfully, but I think sometimes people in life just reach a point where they just say, fuck it. I just, I don't care that this is not a good decision. I don't care that this is irresponsible. I just don't care. I'm going to do this because it's going to make me feel good in the moment. And I just don't care. Well, then time gets away from them though. I mean, once or twice, okay, that's fine. But when you keep doing it, and you, you know that it's not a good idea and you know that it's going to really affect your bank account. And he didn't just spend his time gambling. He got two facelifts, Dude, not one, but two. That is a midlife crisis. He, he also bought a new Jaguar. Oh, that's definitely a midlife crisis. <laughs> He's not very confident of his size down below. So, you know, as well as the midlife crisis. It's, oh, my God. They, it's they... it's, it's uh, in, it's, in, a mid, it's a midriff. It's a midriff. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a different type of crisis. Let me just let <laughs> you guys in behind the veil a little bit of the deep south here that I live in. Um, the um, compensating for lack of a significant genitalia downstairs for a male. The version of that here is a big old truck with. That's big, what I was thinking. That's the first thing that popped in my head. It's like a big truck with big wheels, right? Yeah, big giant wheels. And that's what they'll do. They'll buy these big old trucks with these big old mud tires and go mudding. And they got their big old trucks. And when they get to a stoplight and they they hit go, they go vroom, real loud so everyone knows. Look how big my penis is. Huh. <laughs> God, it pisses me off so bad. And it's like so funny because it's like, yeah, no, man, that guy is clearly cool. Did you hear how he stepped on the gas and made his engine rev up really loud? He is the only one that can do that. Because, I mean, the ordinary person can't just step on their gas pedal and rev their engine up. Only the cool, ordinary person, only cool people with big dicks. Yeah, those are the only people who can who can go vroom at a stoplight as they speed away. Like, the, the, those guys... Are are t are really cool and they have huge members. So as you were saying, Mike, <laughs> I don't really have anyone like that over here in Vancouver. But what I do have are equivalent here in Vancouver and Washington and and in Oregon and Portland. You know, when I where I was growing up, when I grew, you know, where I grew up, not where I was growing up. Well, uh, anyway, it's people when they take their mufflers off, and and so it's these, they're driving like a Honda Civic or something. Like a, a, some old car, <laughs> some car that's not Fast and Furious type material. And they take their muffler off and speed around the neighborhood and act like they're Vin Diesel. It's hilarious. I seriously thought you were going to say like since Portland and, you know, like Oregon and Washington, all that. You know, it's kind of like the hipster capital of the world. I thought you were going to say our version of that is like these dudes riding around these tandem bicycles, man, with these, uh, you know, baskets on the front of their bike. And they think they're really something with their baskets <laughs> and their tandem bicycles, man. Like they, they, we don't really have something like that over here in Vancouver, but maybe in Portland. I could see that being a problem in downtown Portland. <laughs>
So anyway, back to uh, Ed Baker and his uh, midlife crisis. So after his midlife crisis, he ended up remarrying. Uh, but he that didn't last very long because he divorced his new wife after 11 months. And her name was Karen Walbridge. And then two months later, he re- remarried again. So he, he divorced with her 11 months. That's like a celebrity marriage right there. Yeah, really. Or a midlife crisis marriage. Yeah. And uh, then he remarried again, this time to Sandra Hoff, one of his employees. And soon the business started crumbling. And Baker started spending investors' money to support his extravagant tastes. Bad idea. His attorney, Ward Busey, warned him that he could face j- jail time. Understandably so. That That's fraud, essentially. And it's embezzlement. That's embezzlement. It's not really fraud. It's embezzlement. Yeah, that's a pretty jail thing to do, spending company funds. So in October 1985, Ed asked his investigator, Bob Gale, no relation to the producer about the future, different Bob Gale. Yo, thank to you run for a background that, check. Mike, because I'm sure everybody was wondering... Because I'm sure everybody knows the pr- uh, producer of Back to the Future's name. Sorry, that's that's me. <laughs> that's my movie nerd coming out there, coming to the surface. Great Scott. <laughs> so Bob, he asked Bob Gale to run a background check on a source from which he had borrowed money. The money source seemed to have mafia connections. Oops. Uh-oh. <laughs> Ed seemed to reverse his downward spiral. But on November 6th, he showed up in Mary's home, alluding to the fact that someone was after him. Uh, the reenactment here was pretty effective. I thought the actor who played Ed did a good job as well. So Ed sent Sandra to Austin, Texas, as a precaution, and he holed himself up in his, own, in his home, speaking to her by phone uh, an hour after midnight. Well, that's pretty much the last time that she heard from him, because two days later, Ed's Jaguar was found burning 20 miles outside of Houston with a charred body inside. It was so disfigured that no one could tell who it was. They couldn't even tell what gender it was. That's how disfigured it was. Forensic analysis confirmed it was Ed Baker. The police ruled it a suicide after a letter by Ed arrived at Ward Busey's office. However, Sandra calls it a mafia hit, which that's plausible. I mean, one of the, the sources that he was getting this money from supposedly had mafia ties. If it did have mafia ties, we could totally see the mafia doing something like this. It's like the other businessmen that were shot dead in earlier cases that we discussed. Chuck Morgan. Chuck Morgan. Et people like that. So while Busey supported the... <laughs> when, I, when I hear Busey, I'm, just, I'm thinking of Gary Busey. Oh, God. So, that crazy mofo. While Busey supported the police event for police version of the, the events, Bob Gale had reasons to believe the man in the car was not Ed, but someone else, and that Ed had faked his death to disappear. This is so a- far to this day, no one has answers as to what had actually happened that night. It's funny on this show. This is not the first time that uh, you know. The more the more I watch this show and delve into it, the more I start seeing like kind of like similarities of human behavior, like extreme human behavior. And this is not the first time that somebody's tried to fake their death on this show. Um, It blows my mind that people actually do that. You know what I mean? Like, murder, that's one thing. I get it. You know, you can pull out a gun and pull a trigger, and then somebody's dead instantly. My mind can comprehend that. 
But mm-hmm. somebody like your neighbor or friend that you know, faking their own death or something extreme like that, it just blows my mind that like people actually do that and like go to those lengths, you know? I can see that if they're, they know that someone is out to get them or they know they broke the law and they just, they want to continue their extravagant spending. They want to continue their rich lifestyle. And so they fake their death and then go to some place in, in the Caribbean or somewhere in South America and, you know, out of the jurisdiction of the United States and, you know, still live their lavish lifestyle off of money that they stole from other people and from businesses. That happens a lot, actually. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of fugitives from, from you know, big corporations that just fled to some other country. Yeah, if you look at the, the map... With other people's money. If you look at all the islands that are out there, too, there are so many, like, little islands that are just, like, you know, so unknown and not really, you know, no no one really pays them much mind. Yeah. Um, so I mean, this was, a, this was a businessman who had a really big, booming business, and then things just didn't do where it started to crumble. The oil market fell. And then, you know, he was stuck with a business that wasn't nearly as profitable. And he was so used to having this extravagant lifestyle and he did not want that to end. That happens a lot with these these businessmen, these people. It's like they're so used to just spending money like it's nothing. And then when things, you know, fall apart, you know, they, they're just not used to not being able to do that. It happens with athletes as well. There's a lot of athletes who have gone broke. Just a, just, a, just a few years, uh, just a couple years after they retire. So, Eddie, this guy was taking millions, like big money. So this wasn't like little little bits here and there. He was taking millions of dollars from from other investors. So uh, he was not he was he was definitely committing uh, a lot of crimes, uh, big crimes there. And um, so uh, Terry Bird, uh, the, he was an arson investigator who came in and, and he looked at the Jaguar. He said somebody was obviously trying to burn the car, but it was a rather crude effort. We found three gallons of gasoline inside that vehicle and around that vehicle more than enough to sufficiently burn it up, which I thought was interesting. If it was an expert, I don't think they would have done that. I don't, if a mafia, if it's a mafia hit, would they? Would it be really crude? They tend to not be that crude. They tend to be pretty accurate and deadly, deadly accurate. Um, and then they, the letter itself was kind of seemed to, I don't know. It, you know, it's a suicide note, but it doesn't seem like it. It seems like it's prepared and, and not in a way that's like, oh, they thought of it. It doesn't seem like it's, there isn't a lot of truth to it or it doesn't seem sincere. You know, it, this is the, the letter that arrived, arrived to Ward. It said, Dear Ward, if you are reading this letter, that means that I am dead. I have had some threats on my life. You've been a good friend to me. Please take care of Sandy and the kids and do what you can for them. Why didn't he send this letter to Sandy? But he says, encloses another letter I'd like you to take to Sandy and give it to her for me. Okay, all right. But it's just, I don't know. I mean, it's just very... uh, You see that if you read this, that means I'm dead. All right. (laughs) That's kind of like... uh, I don't know. It's kind of like comical in a way it's like hello if you read this i am dead you know like i don't know it's just like what so maybe he's covered maybe it's like he wants to them to read that that reminds me of that one guy or something 
Oh no, that was he didn't say he was dead, but it was the guy who like got away with this crazy robbery at this bank that nobody saw coming. And he was so brazen about it that he even like he stole his money from the bank, all this money, even went to the airport with bags of money and still got away with it. And his wife got this letter that's like, oh, I've just decided to do this. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm going to do this. You're just like, what? Those people are also fascinating, like your D.B. Coopers and all that. Just people who are like, yeah, this is happening. Uh, I'm going to do it. And, you know, and I'm going to get away with it. Or like the tunnel robbers or whatever, you know, it's just the balls that some of these people have. I mean, I am so not ballsy that... uh, if I was to ever write a suicide letter, it would say, like, I might be dead. If you're reading this, I might be dead because <laughs> yeah. I, I might have chickened out. I might still be alive and well or I don't know. Maybe I went through with it. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's really up in the air at this point because, you know, uh, it's kind of a scary thing to think about. And it's very final. So uh, I, I might still yeah. very well be alive. So Sandy, she refused to accept the idea that her husband has taken her, his own life, which most spouses do yeah well everybody so she hired keith lyons an independent private investigator and he looked into some things and he said if you're professional like a mafia or syndication type thing i don't think so i don't know why they would burn the car which is what i'm thinking why would they burn the car they seem to be the type of people that just shoot him in the back of the head it seems to be somebody who was paid to kill ed baker and that's exactly what they did ed baker did not commit suicide however ward Busey disagrees he said, the letter I got said that if you're reading this, I am dead. How did he know he was going to die that night unless he planned to kill himself? Uh, maybe, but is that really a suicide? Well, he, didn't mean, talk about taking, he didn't talk about taking his own life. He just said, I'm going to be dead. Well, I mean, like, also, somebody could have, like, had him ri- have him write that letter at gunpoint yeah. or something. I mean, that that's happened, too, you know. Or he could have made that up, wrote it that way, and said, I'm going to be dead so nobody come look for me because... I'm going to be going to Aruba. <laughs> Aruba, Jamaica. Ooh. Oh, wait, I better stop and get sued. <laughs> that's really, that's a great song. I love that song. And the Coca We'll get there fast. And... Anyway, anyway, I'm thinking take of uh, Coconut with umbrella, little mini umbrella in it. Uh, so Ed decided he was probably going to go to jail and decided to get Sandy out of town so that she wouldn't be implicated. He said goodbye to everybody that he loved and went out to this field that he knew about, set his car on fire and shot himself. So he kind of set his car on fire and then shot himself. Like, I mean, that's that's some that's some uh, big commitment to that suicide there. I mean, it's kind of like, all right, the car's on fire. Guess I got to shoot myself. I don't know. Yeah, that, 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 that. you also kill yourself by just setting the car on fire. I mean, a dog don't hunt, Mike, as my granddaddy used to say. <laughs> So Bob Gale proposed a different scenario. He believed Ed Baker staged his own suicide. He said, I feel the possibility that Ed could arrange something like this with a different body in that vehicle. Ed was a very intelligent man, a man who took he took in, as he was told him me himself, sixty six million dollars the last year he was in business and a man capable of faking his own death. How do you just get a, a stand-in guy to, to, to be your dead body, though? I mean, that's... Well, they probably take somebody that similar in build and, and so on, and it's it's a victim. It is what it is. Yeah. I mean, usually that's what happens. That is a victim. That is somebody that they purposely set up to die so they can... 
go on live their life of crime. This has been a very ha- this has been a very heinous episode of uh, uncovering unexplained yeah, mysteries. Usually, usually a lot of these people are just completely innocent people who have absolutely no idea what's going to happen, or you know they're they're manipulated into thinking this is that they're not going to end up in a field somewhere where they're going to get shot in the head and then you know lit on fire. So. Apparently, this case is uh, still unsolved, uh, but since the segment aired, nearly all the witnesses in the case have died or passed on. Ed Baker's first wife of 20 years was killed in a car wreck, sadly, uh, Thanksgiving weekend 1973. So that might be why he had more of that midlife crisis, which is not mentioned in in the segment, that his first wife died in a car wreck in 1973. Yeah, Unsolved Mysteries does that sometimes. They'll they will omit details, I think, if it if it kind of helps the story a little bit maybe. Um like if it makes it more interesting, for instance, um one thing that uh Tiffany Tallman's husband was telling me, he was saying in the emails, um he was saying, "Yeah, we want to set the record straight." And I mentioned the bunk bed and he said, "Oh yeah, that damn bunk bed." Uh, or something along those lines, almost like as if he was saying, like, yeah, the show was making it seem like the bunk bed was what made it the place. Oh, it, but interesting. That, yeah, that's why I wish I could talk to this guy, man. I wish I, I hadn't. I wish all that wasn't going on right in the middle of me dealing with all that. I'm sure I'm sure, you know, if you just explain things, hopefully, you know, maybe he's just busy and, you know, yeah, maybe he'll come in and try to contact you again. If need be, you know, I, I can try to maybe contact him myself since you know it was my channel that you know he left a comment on in the first place so. well that need might to be mike oh, okay all right <laughs> i don't know so i don't really have anything else to say about this case other than uh, ed baker you know if he did fake his own death and killed somebody so he could go drink you know uh alcohol and, and with fruity drinks with umbrellas and Aruba, then fuck the guy. But, you know, if he, and still he stole money. So either way, you know, this is not a guy who is a saint or anything like that. I think he, he, or he, he basically got in too deep on something. He made his bed and he lied in it. So or he met his, made his bed and then he, he, he fled. So you so. think he is on the run? Uh, you think he don't think he is on the uh, run? He could be. He could be. I mean, th- we don't know. I mean, that's the thing. And, and uh, but the body did technically. They said it did match him. So, but they said they could not identify what gender it was. So, I mean, it was that disfigured. Mm. So, that's kind of. I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of a. It's kind of a hard one. But I mean, money. Money, money with a lot of money comes a lot of power. So I mean, it, sixty-six million dollars. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's enough. I don't to, think I will ever see that amount of money in my entire life. <laughs> no, that reminds me of a, a review on our iTunes or whatever. Uh, someone commented on and they reviewed and they said three things I learned from the show. Uh, the host that's from Florida has seen a hundred thousand dollars in person. And then he went on and he listed a few other things which were true. When when on this podcast have I ever said that I've seen a hundred thousand yeah. dollars in person? What the hell? I don't remember ever saying that. Like, uh, that's what that was one of the things they said. Was that when you mentioned something on the the tunnel robbers case or one of these other cases? And you're just saying like, I don't think 
I will ever see a hundred thousand dollars in person. I think that's probably what you probably said, but then he interpreted well, maybe, it as you maybe have did, Yeah, maybe oh. I did say like, oh, uh, maybe because I think I was talking about how the money is how heavy money is, and maybe I think I there's no way I would have said oh, I've seen a hundred thousand dollars and blah blah blah. Like I, I don't think I would have been that <laughs> dumb to like just say that like and it not be true. Or maybe I would be. I don't know. Uh, I thought that was a funny story, though, that 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 uh, they said that. I'm like, I don't remember ever saying that because I haven't. Like, I have never seen a hundred thousand dollars in person. Like, I have not. Well, neither have I. And we never will. Um, all right. Well, uh, moving on to a um, rare kind of thing that we do, but it, again, it's time for it to be done. Uh, we want to tell you guys a little something about your fellow listeners. You know, I mean, it, it's a good thing to know and. And to, to know who is listening to this podcast. And this time around, I would like to spotlight someone named Hannah Elizabeth. Um, and a story that happened to her that she told me about. And I just wanted to share it because it's so unbelievable. It's crazy. Um, so apparently she gave a man uh, and, and she's out now, but, you know, it's, it's spent time for this. Um, she gave a, someone a ride home. And she stabbed him after she thought the man stole her harmonicas. That's what, that's what she told me. Uh, so she really loves her harmonicas, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so she she remained in the uh, Sarasota County Jail um, because she didn't have the twenty five thousand dollar bail or whatever. Um, she was in there for aggravated battery with a deadly weapon. Uh, according to a re- arrest report, um, she agreed to drive this man home, at, who she met in a bar, and uh, then the two went to a Taco Bell, where the passenger, who she gave a ride to, bought a bag of tacos. Well, when the passenger got out of her car, he grabbed the bag, of, or what he thought was the bag of tacos, but later said that he may have mistakenly picked up the wrong bag. Um, the passenger who was stabbed told uh, deputies that Hannah got out of the car saying, quote, give me my harmonicas. <laughs> <laughs> um, she is accused of stabbing the other man in the wrist and chest. So, yeah, um... If you ever don't steal her harmonicas. If you ever around <laughs> Hannah, don't fuck with her harmonicas. <laughs> and she had more than one. Like usually people just have one. I may maybe she was really a professional and she had harmonicas for like every key, you know, cuz there's different keys of harmonicas, so and I mean, you know, maybe she kept them in a bag that was similar to a Taco Bell bag, but uh that that was crazy. Um don't don't do that. Nuts. And that is a crazy story, isn't it? That is a ridiculous, crazy story that um, that that happened. And if you want a crazy story about you mentioned on the podcast, all you got to do is join the $10 a month tier of our Patreon, and uh, you as well will have a crazy, wild story about you told on, uh, on the podcast. Um, is it true? Is it false? Who knows? I mean, that's that's really no one no one can say. Um, so yeah, uh, that I'm glad that you're out now and, and everything's fine, Hannah. Moving on to our final segment of the podcast, we have the uh, story. I don't know what that random accent was. Um, 
the tragic story of French. <laughs> maybe, maybe it might be a French accent, uh, croissant, uh, uh, Danish. Wait, that. Like, <laughs> please just help me here. Um, we got. I can't. I'm yeah, sorry. I know. I, I can't. I can't help you. That's on what that. the doctor said too. Unfortunately, um, the case of Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son. Um, the very infamous case. I mean, super infamous case. Every I remember yeah. hearing about this case as a kid i mean outside of unsolved Mysteries. i knew about this case before the show and i am very this one this one hits home for me personally you know because i actually am a, i was i am a really big i you know i was and i still am a really big fan of his work and, and i think you know he was definitely a star that was shot out of the sky way too soon and it was a very avoidable situation that just pisses me off yeah, and you're, when, you're when a big movie guy, so I'm sure I'm sure you've seen a lot of his. I see. I haven't seen any of his work. I haven't even seen the movie that he was. A lot of people mention him. Mention you know when they think of Brandon Lee, they think of The Crow, which was sadly his final film. Yeah. Um, but that's not even my favorite film of his. Uh, I, I like Rapid Fire more that he was in. That he was a lead in. He was a star. Um, that's one of the. It was a surprise hit for Fox, and that's one of the big reasons why I think he got the role as a crow. Uh, as Eric Draven. Uh, I really love his performance as uh, the partner of, of, of Dolph Lundgren's character in Showdown in Little Tokyo. It's really a lot of fun. Brandon was good in that. And, you know, he was he was just up-and-coming. He was an up-and-coming actor, great martial artist. He had a lot of personality. Um, likeable guy, good-looking guy. I mean, He was you a good-looking guy. So it, it was just, it's really tragic. I mean, it's tragic about, you know, his dad too, you know, died of some brain thing, you know, hemorrhage how did, how or whatever. How did you not pick this case, Mike? How am I the one who ended up picking this one out and you're like the big movie? I, I, I didn't think about it. You know, I, I guess I completely forgot that this was featured on Unsolved Mysteries, apparently. That's true. Um, but, you know, I just thought it's a case that a lot of people know about, but, uh, you know, it seems it's, it's a good case, though, because I think it's it's a word of warning for, you know, people out there, for studios and for film production companies and for, for people who work on films to not cheap out on things like weapons experts and people who are, are there on the set you know, inspecting and, and examining weapons and, and, and bullets and, and blanks and things like that. So without further um, an- anticipation, because everyone's, po- well, if you don't know about the story already, we'll get into it here. And it's very, um, like when I actually watched the uh, Unsolved segment on it, I thought it was very fascinating. The Just the chain of unfortunate ev- events that led to his death. But we'll start at the beginning here. Uh, Bruce and Brandon Lee were linked by legend. Each was a rising star in martial arts films, and some also say they were linked by a family curse. Uh, The curse was said to have affected Bruce Lee's brother uh, as the first victim. Um, The cursing... That's where I kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't don't know. know. Wait till till we go into this, and some of the things are kind of weird. Um... I mean, even his own family, Brandon's Brandon's uh, wife, you know, and they're even they are they call bullshit on the curse. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so after after the uh, exposition here, um, the, the Unsolved Mystery shows a clip of Bruce Lee uh, from 1971, and it's it's so cool because you know it's like very there's like no music or anything, and it just so, shows Bruce Lee, and he's very intense, and he's like talking, he says. Be formless, shapeless like water, 
and he's you know it's pretty badass and then it shows him like you gotta you gotta go back and it shows him actually sh demonstrating one of his punches you know and he's like he's like you gotta throw your whole body into it and he's like throw like punching forward and you can hear the swooshing of his yeah. jacket and everything as he's doing this it's like damn that guy was a badass bruce was he was he was and still is a badass i mean he's the type of martial artist that people can look at and see you know and the type of badass you can look at and see that you don't have to be buff you don't have to be like ripped to kick some ass right i mean he's, a, can, he's a legend it's he it, we're still talking about him to this day and we always will he's up there with the likes of elvis and you know uh uh you know um uh evil knievel and i know just all these people that are just that were just so extreme and on the fringes that uh they just brought a lot of attention to their form that that people normally kind of ignored um, cause, cause martial arts, uh, movies weren't really even much of a thing, uh, as far as mainstream popularity, um, until Bruce Lee came along and single-handedly created an audience for them. Um, in the summer of, uh, 1973, Bruce Lee was 32 years old. On July 20th, uh, Bruce Lee took a pill for a headache and laid down for a nap. Bruce Lee never woke up. Uh, they brought him in, and they were trying heroic measures to save his life, but uh, he he was already he was already pronounced dead when they even got him into the hospital. Um, the unthinkable had happened. Bruce Lee had died. Uh, his funeral drew more than twenty thousand mourners. Twenty thousand mourners. Um, after a, a unprecedented nine day inquest, the coroner announced his findings. Bruce Lee had died from a freak allergic reaction. Mm -hmm. And now they have a guy on the show here that's saying, here we have this paragon of fitness, one of the most lethal human beings with his hands and feet, who is essentially taken out by a headache tablet. Uh, rumors began to abound. Bruce Lee was taken, uh, was Bruce Lee taken out by a rival movie studio? Was it a disgruntled business partner? Or even the talks of the Japanese mafia? Or was it Chinese mafia? So probably would you Chinese. <laughs> I feel like they said it was Japanese in the show. Anyway, Chinese. Um, others blame the family curse that we mentioned earlier. Um, the mysterious forces of Feng Shi. Among other things, this mysterious belief states that one's house must be built in alignment with its surroundings. Feng Shui? No, it's not Feng Shui. Uh, it's Feng it's not Feng Shui? No, it's, really? feng, it's Feng Shi. Huh. There are more Feng things in Chinese than just Feng Shui, I'm sure. <laughs> but feng shui is the alignment of things of furniture inside the house which apparently is a real thing because i've talked to people who have walked into houses that um feng shui was used in and, and they there is definitely a feel more of a feeling of um peacefulness yeah it, it could be bullshit, well the people the people the people who put it together though are, are kind of watch an episode of penn and teller's uh, show penn and teller bullshit oh, where I they talk about uh feng shui yeah, it's a pretty eye-opening one because they, the yeah, it's it's pretty obvious that these were just failed uh, designers who who decided they were going to charge people crazy amounts of money so they can move around the furniture. Huh. Yeah, that was an awesome show. Uh, that that yeah, that was on Showtime during the mid two thousands. That was a that was a really underrated show. I used to actually I've watched almost every episode of that. Um, Penn and Teller geniuses. It's still it's still. They're still very doing relevant. It? No, it's oh. still very relevant. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That was a great show. But anyway, this uh, feng shi, among other things, um, it states that the house must be in alignment with its surroundings. 
Bruce Lee's house was said to be misaligned and would therefore bring bad luck. And boy, did it. Um, the Chinese believe that unless this is addressed through either a feng shi expert that comes in and deflects the bad spirits, uh, or the house has to be re-erected and built correctly, um, bad stuff's going to happen. Uh, the previous Sounds owner- a lot like feng shui. <laughs> That's why I'm getting confused. I'm telling you, they uh, they said feng shi. Um, well, I think they mispronounced They it. might have met feng shui. <laughs> um, the previous owner had consulted a feng shi expert who had placed a small mirror on the top of the house, on top of Bruce Lee's house. Um, the mirror remained there until July 19th when a typhoon ripped away the mirror. Bruce Lee died the very next day. What do you have to say about that, Mike? Uh, I don't know. It could be coincidence. <laughs> At the time, Bruce Lee's son, Brandon, was just eight years old. Already he was following in his father's footsteps. He was talking about how he would train with his father when he was little, and he trained um, you know, up until you know, whenever his father passed and all that, which obviously wasn't very long since he was only eight years old. But um, Brandon followed Bruce Lee's path to the big screen as a star of martial arts films. Brandon was 28 years old when he was shot on the set of The Crow. Yeah. Um, uh, quoting the mother here and the wife, who is just, I mean, to say that she's been through unma- unspeakable tragedies oh, yeah. is an understatement. Um, yet she remained pretty damn composed for this uh, this interview uh, from on the show. She says, It was awful. No one ever thinks her child is going to predecease them, especially one that was so vibrant and had so much future and so much promise, and one that had already suffered tragedies in his life. And then this... End quote. Talking about the mother, right? That's from the mother, I the think, mother right? Said, Not the wife. This. Well, the mother of Brandon slash the wife yeah. of Bruce Lee. I, yeah, that was kind of confusing. My bad. Um, <laughs> Brandon Lee's death reignited a speculation of, of the family curse. Nearly 50 eyewitnesses, a dozen ballistic te- ballistics tests, and um, other tests have been performed. Um, this is a story that was pieced together by Detective Rodney Simmons and Brian Pettis of the Wilmington, North Carolina Police Department. The bullet that was destined to kill Brandon Lee. Quote, After about six months, we pretty much knew where the gun had gone, where the bullets had gone, who handled the bullets, who had handled the gun, and what level of responsibility everyone was at. They were filming a pawn shop scene and needed items from an actual pawn shop. So they went to a local pawn shop in Wilmington and they started collecting some of the items. The stagehand gathered hundreds of props. Among them was a box of live 44 caliber books. That's where the problem arose, right from that moment. Right. If they, if Miramax wasn't cheap, and you know, because Miramax, I think, is the company who released the film. Um, I think it might be Miramax or Dimension, but. If the studio wasn't cheap and was like, oh, this is a lower budgeted movie, we don't really want to spend money on hiring ballistics experts and things like that. If they weren't cheap and actually hired ballistics experts, the ballistic experts would have been handling creating the blanks. And there would have never been a mistake like that, the one that killed Brandon Lee. It just, it really, just thinking about it, it's such an avoidable. Oh, yeah. It's, it's an avoidable accident. It, it's, it was easily avoidable. I don't buy that it's the result of a curse. This is incompetence. This is just gross misuse 
uh, of resources and negligence that is the reason why Brandon Lee is dead. So the purchasing of the live 44 caliber bullets, caliber? How come I can't? Caliber. Uh, was the first piece of the puzzle that was in place of Brandon's death. The ammo was placed on the counter of the movie set of the movie pawn shop. Uh, when the stunt coordinator found the live ammunition on the set, he was livid. The rule was you, exactly. you don't have live ammunition on the set. Uh-huh. So, he no. took, so he took the ammo to his car and he locked it in his trunk. It would remain there for two weeks. Now understanding the tragic events to come requires some knowledge of bullets and blanks. The business end of a bullet is a lead tip. It fits snugly in, in, in the lead casing. Packed inside is lead powder. The circular disc at the other end of the bullet is known as a primer. When a gun is fired, the hammer hits the primer, which ignites the lead powder, launching the lead tip towards the target. Simple. Deadly. That's what Robert Stack said yeah. <laughs> describing the bullet. It was fucking another brilliant Robert Stack quote. Simple. Deadly. It was beautiful. Um... A blank, however, is a bullet casing with a harmless cardboard disc mm-hmm. inside of it instead of a lead tip. The casing can be loaded with any amount of gunpowder depending on the desired flash that is visible when the blank is fired. So if you want a big flash, you would load it all the way up, or if you only want a little flash, you only load it up a little bit. Um, on the set of The Crow, a scene was being set up that required a quarter-load blank. None were purchased. To save time, the shells were brought out to be modified into blanks. (laughs) Mike's getting upset. They removed the lead tip. Who wouldn't? Yeah, I I understand. It's crazy. They removed the lead tip of the actual live ammunition. They shook out the powder inside of it, and they left the cartridge and primer. They decided the primer itself was the equivalent to a quarter-load blank. The end result was a handful of empty casings each with a live primer. While they were making the quarter load blanks, they decided they needed some dummy bullets. A dummy bullet is a bullet with no powder and no primer. So what they did was they fired off some of the primers of the blanks they made, and then they took the lead tips and put them back into the casings. But what they didn't do was check all of the primers to make sure that they had all been fired off when they Uh made the dummy rounds. So they had had at least one dummy round that had a primer that was still intact. If they had spent the money and spent the time, it's worth it. Trust me, these are, this is, you were using live rounds anyway, which is a mistake and an absolute no-no on the set. And it's a, it's a, yeah, uh, just talking about it just makes me sick. Really, it, it, it's it makes me fear. It makes me really angry. Uh, you just hire the right people to do their jobs, and this would have never happened. Period. Right. Also, there was other. Also, it could have been prevented as well, even though, even with their negligence, because there was that one dummy round. It had an explosive primer and a lead tip because they didn't check the primer. See, so didn't check to see if it had been fired off. The crew used the dummy rounds for close-ups of someone firing a 44 Magnum. The detective said that at least two people heard a popping noise. So that's two people who didn't do their damn jobs, who were just not thinking about it, who are, I don't, wouldn't necessarily say were directly responsible for Brandon's death, but they are in part some way responsible because they did not do anything about it. They heard a clear popping noise. 
which would well, you would think your blank your gun with a dummy round in it is not supposed to make any noise. Right. No one realized that what they heard was a primer firing off yeah. by that popping sound. No one realized that the primer fired off with just enough force to lodge the lead tip of the bullet mm -hmm. inside the chamber of the gun. There it would remain for another 10 days or so until its fateful meeting with Brandon Lee. About two weeks after the second unit filmed that gun scene that Mike was talking about, where they were they needed a shot where they were pointing a, uh, a camera, or they were, they were shooting down the barrel of a gun or whatever, the camera or whatever, the scene came up where Brandon's character was to be killed off. The director decided to use a full load blank. At this time, the lead tip is still lodged inside the barrel of the gun, unbeknownst to anybody. Like, how the hell does that happen? The director gives the gun to the actor, and that bullet being lodged in the barrel, and the barrel, and, and, and having a full load blank in the gun, was the equivalent of a live forty-four caliber bullet being mm -hmm. discharged. The bullet, it's, they might as well had stuck a live forty-four caliber bullet yep. in the gun and shot. It was the same, literally the same exactly. thing. The bullet launched out of the gun and into Brandon Lee. North Carolina officials concluded that the film's biggest failures were not <laughs> having a gun expert on set and taking shortcuts to save on time and money. However, the chain of negligence was so long and involved so many people that convicting any one person was, yeah. was unlikely. No, yeah, criminal, no criminal charges were filed, and in the end, it seems like Brandon Lee was truly a victim of circumstance. Or was he the final victim of the family curse? No, no. <laughs> it wasn't a family curse. It was negligence. It was laziness. It was cutting corners and, and for with the risk of somebody's life hanging in the balance. It was just absolutely just atrocious. I, I mean, I didn't really know exactly all the facts about his death and until so, like, I read up on it. And I remember when I first saw this segment on TV or something, I was like, wow, like, that is just bullshit. I mean, that is completely 100% an avoidable event. I mean, is, avoidable there, is, there any, is there any even, like, precedent of this happening on any other movie set before this? I mean, there's been accidents like like uh, with helicopters and things like that. Um, there's been negligence. I mean, in particular, a uh, really well-known case, the, the Twilight Zone, the movie case, where uh, director John Landis um, had a couple, he had his actor, Vic Morrow, and uh, these two little v uh, extras, these Vietnamese uh, extra girls, these little girls, he had them way past the, the – he was breaking a lot of laws there, having the girls there late at night. Um, that was against the uh, the, guild the laws. The, the, it was against the laws. It was against the guild and things like that. And, well, against the, the advice from the helicopter pilot who said, you know, because he – an explosive expert because what he wanted was he wanted these explosions to happen like really, really close to the ground and have helicopters fly really near close to these explosions. And uh, the explosion expert, even the pilot, were saying, that's not a good idea. I don't think that's safe. But John pushed ahead with it, and apparently the pilots or any of these other people just didn't really want to 
deal didn't want to tell John no. At this point in time, he's director of American War for London, Animal House, you know, Blues Brothers. This is a really big director at the time. Well, sadly, this 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 makes me choke up thinking about it as well. The helicopter it, it, it crashed, and the rotors decapitated Vic Morrow and killed the kids. And uh, there's there's really it, it was there's actual footage of it on YouTube, which is really hard to watch. I don't um, want to watch that even in the first place. Like that's some snuff it, film shit. I saw it for it was a documentary about these type of accidents that had happened on sets with helicopters. And it was just a short little, but it's, oh man. And they used the song, this is the end by the doors. Mm -hmm. And like, it just had just, just very, I never, I can never hear the song the same way after seeing that. So I don't recommend anybody who's listening to this, go watch that. Don't trust me. Uh, but yeah, there was a huge court case. John was eventually not held. He was not convicted. I, I think he should have been. I respect the, his work, but the man, I don't know. That was a very overzealous thing of such a stupid thing on his part. Why? I mean, you had, why, why, was it, why was Vic Morrow there anyway? Why did you have those two girls? Why, why, why are you having these explosions go off so near a helicopter like you did you're so gung ho about getting that one shot that you completely forgot about the human life that you were putting at risk overzealousness in that case i mean that sounds like the right word to describe it to me that, that sounds like a very overzealous thing to do in um, a mistake huge mistake the brand situation though that's that's just god the chain just I mean, it's like well, it's they, overzealous as well. I mean, it's the company and the studio being like, "Oh, we don't need to hire a weapons expert. We don't need to spend money on that for this movie, The Crow." And dude, all they would have had to have done was just eyeball the damn primers on yeah. the dummy bullets. That's all they would have had to have done is just do a once over and be and just make sure they had all been. Or even after they messed up with that. Just check the gun. Make sure there isn't anything lodged in the barrel. I know it's not something you think about, but you're still dealing with a gun. Yeah, it's a prop, but I think you would be extra careful since you were cutting corners and using live rounds to begin with. I would think so. But all of this could have been avoided. Studio doesn't cut corners. Hires a weapons expert. This would have never happened. The weapons expert would have checked he would have known. First off, there would they would not have been using live rounds, period. The weapons expert probably would have paid out of his own pocket to make sure that they weren't using live rounds. And all this could have been avoided. Brandon Lee should not be dead today. And, and um, But he is. The actor, and that's, that's a real crime. That's a real travesty. The actor who shot... Brandon Lee, the actor, because this is something I had always wondered as a kid. I was like, damn, I feel so bad for that guy who shot him. His name is uh, Michael Massey, and he, he recently passed away, actually, in October 20th. Um, uh, I, I mean, you're the movie guy, but to me, this guy's mainly going to be known for the guy who killed Brandon Lee. I mean, well, I don't think he should be because it's not directly his fault. 
Right. No, it's not his fault at all. I mean, this, this is not an instance where somebody, okay, shot someone else and that's it. This is an instance of just incompetence, gross incompetence or negligence, both on the, the crew and the studio involved with the crow. It's he, he just did his job. He was asked to fire the gun, which is what he was asked to do. He did it. It's not his fault that I mean, he, there's no reason why he, as the actor, should have to double check the barrel and make sure there isn't anything in it. Right. I mean, that should not have been his his job to do. You should. He should. No actor should be asked to do that. Uh, the the people who didn't make sure the dummy rounds had the primers had been fired. The people who were there on the set, the crew who heard popping noises and didn't do anything about it. Those people in the studio who cut corners are the ones who are, who, in my opinion, receive most of the blame, and if not all of it, for Brandon's death. He, he was he was one of the, it's one of those instances where he had no idea what he was going to do, and the gun fired, and it, the gun that he fired happened to kill Brandon Lee, but Michael Massey himself did not kill Brandon Lee. Yeah, I just you know. I- and I wasn't saying he should be known as the guy who killed Brandon Lee, but I'm just saying that like some people probably will look at it that way. But I think a lot of those people don't know everything about the case that it was this case of negligence on the studio. Do you think the studio wants to put that out there and say that, yeah, we were dumbasses. Yeah. We killed Brandon Lee because we weren't protecting our, our actors and our stars livelihoods by cutting corners with things with you know things such as ammunition and rounds for guns on the set no 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 actor would ever want to work for that studio again are they even a studio anymore Miramax, I think, is still around, but like independent films and stuff like that. Dimension has seen, released some things. It's amazing that that, com- that the company was still around after that. To be honest, it really was. I mean, to think about it, company was directly responsible for killing somebody, a rising star in Hollywood, and they're still making movies. It's like I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't really compute to me. You'd think in almost any other profession, a company like that would be, you know, forced to close its doors, you'd think. Yeah. Yeah, Matt, Massey, uh, he took a year off from acting after that Understandably. Movie. Yeah. And, I mean, that would be devastating. And uh, he refuses to view the film, or he refused to view the film. Uh, and in 2005 interview, 12 years after the incident, Massey revealed that he still had nightmares about it. Going oh, on, I can see why. Yeah, going on to say, I don't think you ever get over something like that. Which, no. you know, not, none of that sounds um, off base to me. That all sounds... It's not an instance of where there's somebody broke into your house and you shot him dead. It's an instance of you were not expecting this to happen at all. You were not prepared for this. And it happened. That's something that... It, you'll never be able to forget, never really get over because it's something that, oh my God, it, it, it happened. It, it was not predictable. It wasn't, it wasn't something that you, you, you did it, but then at the same time, you're like, no, what, how is this possible? And then you would of course start thinking about what could I have done to, to prevent this? And, and, you know, Michael, you know, may rest in peace. Um, and, 
I, I, I don't, I don't know if he knew this or not, but you know, I think a lot of people might've told him this, but that it really is, this is how it is. You know, you did, you, you did not aim the gun at Brandon Lee and murder him. That's not what happened. Like you were not responsible, directly responsible for his death. You were you pulled the trigger, but you had but the people before you who were handling the prop, they're more directly responsible for what happened. I literally can't imagine how I would feel in that situation if that same thing happened to me if I was Yeah, that's that's the same thing. I, I would try to think about I would think about it like that. I would but it would still be super devastating for me. I never forget it. I would probably have nightmares just like he does. But I, I, I'm thinking, though, I would have my support of my family and my friends would be enough that I would be able to say, you know what, I, I didn't, it wasn't my fault. I, I didn't, it's like any kind of, like if there's an accident at work, you know, that kind of thing. Like if there was something, you were part of a crew, a construction crew, and somebody you were working with died in some accident, and you know he was part of your crew he died when you were right by his side i mean that's the type of thing where you you'd be like oh god like but you didn't kill the guy so was the movie any good even i think it's good i think it's a i think it's actually a really good movie um they did a great they had some a lot of advancements in cgi uh to to uh to still release the film because it wasn't even finished entirely when Brandon died. So they had some stand-ins and they had CG that uh, put Brandon's face and makeup over the stand-in. And it was actually pretty effective looking, especially ahead of its time for effects wise when it comes to, uh, you know, that type of thing. Also the movie, they're thinking they've always, they've been thinking about remaking it time and time again. And I'm like, don't do it. I don't want to see a remake of this film, especially after it's the movie it's Brandon's last film. He died on the set. We don't need remakes. They did sequels and they weren't very good. They had a TV show with Mark Dacascos, who's another actor that I like. That was not the best, but I guess I'd say I'd rather watch it than The Crow Salvation. I think that's the name of it. Or no, it's Wicked Prayer, which is I, Edward Furlong is The Crow. Yeah. From T2? Yeah, I know. John yeah. Connor from the mm. kid the kid from T2 I is think a about pro. him from American History X. That's where I... No, he's writing that as well. But it's a good movie, but it's not my favorite Brandon Lee film, and it's not a movie I watched that much because I know that Brandon died. Shooting the film because of just bullshit, just complete negligence from the studio. And, you know, it, it's just... it's. It just makes me sick to my stomach. It's an uncomfortable film to watch for me. Um, I, I'd rather watch Rapid Fire or Showdown in Little Tokyo. And I, and, and I recommend that to people who are listening, if you are a fan of The Crow and you are a fan of Brandon Lee, if you haven't seen Rapid Fire or Showdown in Little Tokyo, I highly recommend them. And Mike has seen 12 billion movies, so he would know. All right, well, uh, yeah, this was... I don't think there's really any uplifting thing in this podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Except that the podcast exists still. Yeah, We're still exactly. here. And you're not listening to this for a pick-me-up, I don't think. Uh, I think you're listening to this for the mysteries and for me and Mike's uh, banter. And um, Yeah, so anyway, uh, that is all the time we have for 
uh, brand spanking new, or I should say really the uh, inaugural uh, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, the proper uh, proper episode where uh, I just said episode like I'm from the South, which I am. Um, one where it's not weirdly edited or anything. So yeah, uh, everything, the Patreon, the Facebook, everything is uncovering unexplained mysteries now. Um, if you like movies, if you, if you, it, when Mike was talking about movies just then, if it gave you goosebumps and maybe you started to get feelings <laughs> that, that were really confusing, but pleasurable, you can check out his YouTube uh. channel where you'll get that all day long. Cause I mean, he's, he's got like. 300 videos on there these uploaded just movie reviews and all kinds of fun stuff well, a lot more than 300 but yeah really <laughs> more than 300 yeah Holy easily shit. oh my gosh <laughs> yeah that's yeah mike mike is a veteran of youtube check him out at youtube.com slash ocp communications get it like a uh, robocop for which he's a huge fan um yes i am for my YouTube channel, if you like game reviews, taste testing of various foods, just, um, you know, anything, just general entertainment. It's like a mixed bag. There's all kinds of stuff on there. There's something for everyone, I like to say. There's vlogs, there's top tens, there's music stuff. You can check me out at YouTube.com slash Dancing with Ghosts. Um, that is all the time we have for tonight. Uh, so we bid you adieu and... Safe travels and uh, bon voyage and aloha and off vida zan and uh, sayonara. <laughs> Toodaloo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, have a good rest of your night. See ya.